The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 118. I hope that you guys are doing well today. If you do happen to be struggling with OCD and anxiety, you can get a free session with me to get that. All you need to do is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the free session. Today I interview the wonderful and amazing uh, OCD um, anxiety and acceptance commitment therapy specialist, uh, Patricia Sorita Owner. Uh, I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly. Sorry if that's the uh, the case there, Patricia. Patricia is the author of many books, including the ACT workbook for teens with OCD, uh, Unhook Yourself and Live Life to the Full. Uh, this is a book I've read myself. It's um, really, really great uh, to give a more in-depth understanding um, about OCD. And isn't just for teens, but she also has... Uh, many other books as well. Patricia, or Dr. C, as she likes to be known, is on a mission to get people unstuck from ineffective playing it safe moves so that they can start living a rich, purposeful and meaningful life. She's a psychologist by training, um, has authored six books and co-authored two books. She has conducted over 140 workshops at national and international conferences She's run a boutique practice and she absolutely loves to create resources for every client that she she works with. In 2019, she was nominated as a fellow of the Association of Contextual Behavioural Sciences for her contributions to the dissemination of acceptance and commitment therapy skills for particular unworkable behavioural patterns. As you will see from the interview, Dr. C is is clearly very passionate about her work, very animated about what she she does, and she gives us lots of really uh, interesting uh, tips and knowledge about different ways to apply um, acceptance commitment therapy to to OCD. So I think it's a a really helpful and uh, wide-ranging conversation, and uh, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of benefit from, from listening. If you'd like to find out more about uh, Dr. Z, you can head over to her website, uh, com, and uh, you can find everything there. Um, if you have any questions, as always, uh, do please let me know, and uh, I really hope that you enjoy. Many thanks. Hi, Patricia. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. That's lovely to have you on. So I wanted to to start off. Um, obviously, you um, you know you're working with people with anxiety, with with OCD, people who struggle with perfectionism, um, all of these kinds of of areas, and you're very much interested. Um, or more than interested, uh, you've written books in, for example, um, acceptance commitment therapy, and and how that can be very helpful for different groups of people. Um, could you could you kind of start off by by telling us, you know, why you decided to to get into this this field of work? Wow, wow, that's a great question, and I, I will share with you perhaps the short version because of time constraints. Um, You know, I had had panic attacks in my life. Um, I was born in South America, and when I came to the States, I was really petrified of talking in English to a large crowd. So there were times in which I had panic attacks, fears of public speaking. Um, In my adult life, I also had a collection of fears, fears about making wrong decisions, fears about uh, not saying the right thing, fears about choosing the wrong partner. So I think personally throughout my life, my fears have been evolving and morphing as my life keeps unfolding. Mm. And 
I know very deeply what happens when we let fear take over our actions and how our life can shrink and shrink and how different it is when you learn to make room for those fears have them sometimes lean with you know towards them and still do what is important to you so i think personally i have been um i think my life has been touched for all types of fears and because of that that's that has been one of the uh, variables that makes me be very appreciative of any person struggling with some form of fear-based reactions perfectionist procrastination ocd panic attacks and how much they are wrestling in those moments and how if we teach them actionable, compassionable, um, research-based skills, they can really unstuck and just be who they want to be. Um, so that's, that's one aspect. Um, the other aspect is that I was born in Bolivia at the time of the dictatorship, in the middle of a dictatorship. So as a, in a global level, I have witnessed how fear can be used to control people's behaviors in many ways when you are really living into this life and that frame of being, right? Like every single day. Mm. Um, I didn't resist violence or things like that as in other places where a, um, a dictatorship takes place. However, when you are born in the midst of a dictatorship for like eight, nine years, you know how it is if you commit any infraction that like actually can jeopardize yourself or your family. So we, I, I saw how as a group, people were being shaped by fear. Uh, and that's an experience that also made me more sensitive and more appreciative again of working with people with anxiety disorders because of my own background and because of my own personal history. Wow, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that must have been a really challenging time and, and probably in many ways has really shaped you as a, as a person, no? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think most people of my generation, we, we have memories um, of what, it, like for example, after 8 p.m., you cannot be in large groups, only three people can be on the street. After 10 p.m., everyone needs to be in the household. Um, we witness the news of exchange of political prisoners. We witness um, how some people weren't receiving food or the basic to survive. Those parents on a macro level, I think they really shape, they shape our history. And then as I mentioned in my own life, my experience with anxiety, stress and worry and noticing how as I keep getting older and older, the fears were unfolding. It really, I think, made me more appreciative of what means to be wrestling this with those yucky feelings that pop up. And, and how many times we do our best to manage them, not successful all the time, but how we can just learn to navigate with them in a different way. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And um, okay, and then I guess somewhere along the line, you you kind of came into to contact with uh, approaches that were really working for you, the, these fears that you were talking about that were growing up and were obviously becoming uh, problematic for you in different areas of life. Um, what did you, what, what kind of helped you the most during these, these difficult times? That's a great question. Um, so at the beginning, because also of my training, I have been training radical cognitive behavior therapy that was in undergrad in my master's. Um, and I discovered acceptance and community skills in grad school. But at the beginning, um, I, I definitely benefited from CBT, from cognitive behavior therapy, from doing exposure with CBT, doing a lot of micro exposures for different fears I had, um, different times in my life. So definitely I, I benefited a lot from exposure response prevention. Mm. Now, what is different a little bit is that as my fears were unfolding and as I was encountering new life experiences, new challenges, new dreams that I wanted to accomplish, um, I discovered acceptance and community skills. And the shift for me there was very, very radical and very, I think, fundamental in how I practice these days and how I think about anxiety in life. Because I think that with CBT, I did manage to handle my fears in a very effective way, doing exposures. Um, 
But when I discovered ACT, I think I became a better human being. I think I became a better person because I learned to radically accept anxiety as part of my life. Mm. I radically accept anxiety as part of our human existence and to really tap into what is important to me, my values. So I think before I handle with CBT and with exposure, very specific fears and very helpful. Trust me, the exposures work because I did different types of micro exposures on my own. Very effective. Um, but again, I think that there were other types of fears um, that, that I didn't know how to handle them. And I wasn't very in touch with the things that were really important to me. So the younger version of myself in my 20s had a sense of her passions, had a sense of what, what speaks to her heart, but the older version really got super clear of what gives me meaning, what gives me a sense of vitality, and how I can become a better person when I make those choices. All that, all the second phase came with ACT, with acceptance and community skills. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And you were mentioning there a few times this this notion or concept of, you know, not just acceptance, but but radical acceptance. Could you kind yeah. of, um, you know, kind of uh, unpack what you mean by that a little bit, please? Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know how helpful it's to make this contrast, but then when I was doing exposure response prevention, when I did my own exposures, when I coach people through traditional ERP, we know that it's all about approaching, leaning where we're scared of. And we know that's what happens. But we're also doing with the idea, with the agenda that our anxiety needs to go down, our fears have to go down, our fears have to decrease. And we know that, that we are getting better if we are experiencing less fear from one exposure to another exposure. We're really doing the exposures with the hope of habituation, right? Mm. Um, one frame, one frame of understand human experience. But also what we know these days is that wherever we go, anxiety is just going to happen to all of us. We are going to be scared. So I think that experiencing a fear-based emotion is the norm, not the exception. And this frame of living with zero anxiety, it's actually a pretty, I think sounds cool, sounds super cool, but it's not real. You know, looking at our day-to-day -day life, we get scared of maybe driving too fast, of not having enough money or having said the wrong thing. Experiencing fear is really embedded in every single moment we are awake. So I think that's what are radically accepting that fear is going to happen. That It doesn't mean that I am broken. It doesn't mean I am doing something wrong. It means that it is part of my experience as a human being to, to experience fear, anxieties, and worries and that I don't have to hold on to these agendas of having less fear. Mm. All we need to do is to always go back to what is important to me, what really speaks to me in this moment, what speaks to my heart, how do I want to respond to this? So those, it's a very different mindset, I think so. So all yeah. exposures by nature have some element of acceptance, yeah. but within acceptance, Skills, you're holding a different mindset, very different mindset, right? Um, there is no need to have less anxiety. There is no need for you to change your thoughts about how you perceive anxiety. What is more important are your values-based actions. And when you do what matters, of course there is going to be a lot of yucky stuff coming up, right? So I think it's a very different frame. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, I, I think what you just said is absolutely spot on when you're when you're leading um, a life that's in line with your values, anxiety is going to come up. Because you're doing the stuff that matters to you, the stuff that's important to you. And of course, if it's important to you, you're going to, to want it to go well and to do well. And you know, it has meaning for you. Um, and so you're, you might experience anxiety, but that's perhaps a good thing. I think anxiety is a part of our nature no it's um and certainly what i found from my experiences with with ocd it tended to get a lot worse when i was going against my own nature when i was mm. wanting things to be perfect or wanting things to be a very particular way and if they weren't then i just wouldn't start something or i wouldn't kind of move on from where i was because you know, I hadn't got that sense of, of perfection. 
but I couldn't, I couldn't see in that moment that that was actually keeping me trapped. Uh, and I was going against, you know, my nature. And, you know, that was a big realization for me. And I think ACT was, was probably a really big part of that as well. Yeah, that sounds like a pivotal moment, actually, to catch mm. that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, something that um, I've been working on a lot uh, myself more recently is, is um, self-compassion. And I know self-compassion is, is, kind, is, is a part of ACT. Um, I think generally we, we, we focus more on uh, diffusion techniques, on values, um, on, you know, being in the present and, and acceptance. Uh, but self-compassion is a big part of it as well. How, mm -hmm. would, you, how would you say um, is, is a really good way to incorporate um, self-compassion or, or self-acceptance into working with acceptance commitment therapy? Well, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think there are different ways to do so, right? And um, I can share the way that I think of it and the way that I work with it and the way that I practice. And um, I definitely don't have that truth with capital T here. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's important to clarify what you just say, that within acceptance and community skills, self-compassion is already embedded, mm. um, it's already built in. And some people, as you mentioned, like to do it by, by practicing diffusion, creating more space between ourselves and the thoughts. Um, to me, one of the things that I have found is that most of the clients I work with, when they're dealing with dealing with OCD or perfectionists, um, they're also they have developed some narratives about themselves. I am not good enough. No one will marry me because I have anxiety or because I have OCD. I'm defective. Um, I am too messed up to have the life I want to have. So that that the stories were one level that I witnessed a lot. I'm very very harsh criticizing the stories. Um, on a second level, I witnessed how often when my clients um, were trying to get unstuck from the, from the OCD episodes, and it is human that when you're practicing skills, few people, in my, to my knowledge, few people can go to zero compulsions, whether that's public compulsion or mental compulsions. Um, so my clients may quickly say sometimes, Dr. C, I just did a compulsion. But it didn't stop there. What came, what came afterwards was like, I mess up. I, you know, I ruined the whole thing. Or after having one exposure session, they, go, they will go into replaying sometimes um, how that exposure session went and how wrong they did, how much they messed up. So you also witness how in, in, the, in the middle of the exposure, these criticizing thoughts were coming either because they that they're engaged in a subtle avoidant behavior or because they engage in a compulsion or because they didn't, they didn't do the exposure perfect or because they weren't trying hard enough. Um, so I like to think that it's important in our work to tackle both the stories a person has developed about themselves and how they are approaching exposure with kindness. Um, the way that I do it, basically, in, there are different ways when you're doing act exposures. For me, I like to talk about a shift from reactive moves into wise moves. Wise move is an acronym that I came up with. It's in, it's in the book, The Living Beyond OCD. And it's basically nine micro skills that can be used as prompts for a person to see how they are responding to their internal experience. Mm. Um, one, of the, one of the micro skills is self-compassion and softening up with self-compassion. And the reason is because I think of exposures as the mean, as a way towards a values-based life. I don't think of exposures as the end goal. I don't care if my clients are doing 100 exposures or 10 exposures a day. I'm more interested in what they are choosing to face in the service of who they want to be. Mm. And are they willing to appreciate that courageous and hard work they are doing? Yeah. So the S stands for softening up in which I coach my clients how they can respond to the hard work they just did with mm. kindness and gentleness. For some people, it can be something very low-key, like placing your hand on your chest and just saying, that I did my best, I worked super hard. Mm. For other people, it can be if the mind goes into this criticizing mode, telling the mind, ouch, no, right now, soft, please, soft, please, you're being too tough. So that will be using a little more diffusion. Mm. Um, for other people, it's really coaching themselves 
um, thinking about how a person that really love and care for them will respond to them. It could be your best friend, it can be your significant other. If my partner will be here, what will my partner be telling me right now? So there are different ways, right? Can be something physicalizing, a little bit of diffusion, a little bit of having perspective what the other person that cares for me will tell me. But when I'm doing exposure, that's part one of the questions, one of the problems with my clients. So how are we going to appreciate the hard work you just did? Um, and what I have found also, if you think about, so that's one level. Um, if we step back a little bit, one of the things that the research and compassion-focused therapies have shown over and over is that when we are experiencing anxiety and fear, our body's on edge, right? We're like, oh, we're ready to fight, right? The challenge is that when our body and our mind is in that place, we cannot, you know, make, make values-based decisions. It's hard. But if you practice kindness, that soothing system of your brain may activate, and then you can actually make better choices for yourself, right? Mm. Uh, and I have witnessed that with my clients. Quite often in the work, I have heard my clients saying, I was throwing myself with these exposures. I was doing 100 exposures a day, but I was so much on edge that I didn't have the energy to decrease my compulsions and my avoidant behaviors. Yeah. So they know they have a gentle approach, so they actually have so much more energy to face their fears. So that's a little bit how I think of self-compassion and how it can be put into action when doing exposures and why it works. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I just released a podcast um, mm -hmm. kind of talking about what you just said there, that, you know, when we're doing exposure work, of course, it's going to be difficult, but it doesn't have to be a white knuckle ride. You know, it, 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 you can bring a bit more compassion to the process. And in doing so, you know, you're not going to take away the fact that it's going to be uncomfortable. Of course, it's going to be uncomfortable. However, there's, there's varying de degrees of discomfort, and we can get on our own side and support ourselves through that process. Or we can kind of deal with it kicking and screaming, which is just going to make it even worse and i think that's kind of what you're kind of alluding to there yeah yeah i love that frame that there is a difference if you're doing exposures kicking and screaming versus mm. you are in exposures um, as a personal choice and yeah. with gender right so i love i think that that's a beautiful distinction you're making mm. um i think many times exposures we know their work we absolutely know they work the research is very clear with that yeah but the yeah. Showing that people don't start treatment because they get overwhelmed thinking about exposures. We mm. also know that one third of people who start exposure treatment they drop treatment because they, it's too much for them. Um, so I think to me, um, one size doesn't fit all. So I appreciate that with acceptance and commitment skills, we can have an alternative for other people that may need different ways of approaching their obsessions, worries, and fears. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just coming back to self-compassion quickly, I think uh, another great thing with ACT that I find is, you know, committing to your values can also be a great way of building self-compassion because personally for me, going for a run is self-compassion or going out surfing or going for a bike ride or, uh, you know, doing something creative. All of these things are nourishing for me. They make me feel better. Um, you know, mm -hmm. particularly exercise, um, you know, there's obviously a kind of biochemical reason for that as well. But it, it's, it's for me, that is also a side of act that, that is another, another way of bringing self-compassion. So I think it's a pretty neat package in, in that regard. Yeah, no, I, I, I love what you're saying. If we think about values in different domains, definitely personal health or personal well-being, I think that is an area that allows us to cultivate more nourishing and, and self-care. I, I think the idea of shifting from being, you know, from these tough approaches to just get it down or white knuckling or just moving on to actually stepping back and acknowledging that we are hurting mm. and acknowledging how and checking how we want to respond to that in our lives in general, I think makes a huge difference, right? Yeah. In how we approach many things in our life, Absolutely. not just the OCD episodes or social anxiety episodes. I think create a different experience of what we can do and who we want to be. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. 
And um, okay, and so you you learn all these skills, and you know, obviously, you have your background uh, in psychology and uh, CBT, and then you decided to become uh, an author. Can you tell us about about that? What what kind of inspired you to write your first book? And um, that would be great if you could tell us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to release the video, but you may have seen my face. You know, I, I got a little bit. Um, I was just smiling a little bit. Um, I find it very humble to be to be called an author. I actually I don't see myself as an author, um, even though yes, I have published some books. Technically speaking, yes, I'm an author. But I think um, the truth is that every single book I have been written is because I was stuck in the therapy room with my clients. Um, therapy, therapy or coaching never goes perfect and smooth. There are so many moments and so many times we get stuck and we have to unpack and really check again and do a functional assessment and revisit. And, and the truth is that I think of myself when I think about those books, more as translating how I have to handle many moments of stuckness and how I have to create a new frame to deliver the work to my clients. Um, so, so I think that the biggest inspiration has been um, the work that I did with every client I work with and how in the room we know that facing the things, facing our struggle is not easy peasy, otherwise everyone will do it. And, and I know how it feels to be stuck when, when things are not going as you hope they will be. You know how it feels when you see your clients ever so fear racing and racing for whatever reason. So every book is really coming from that place. I got stuck many times in the room with my clients and I have to rethink and rethink how I can deliver this differently. Um, and every stuff that I put in the books is really material that I pilot with them. I got their input, I got their feedback. So it's really more coming from a place of stuckness, to be honest. Right? My inspiration has been all those hundreds of times in which I got stuck and I was questioning what I was doing and how I can do it better and more helpful for the person I was working with. Yeah, fantastic. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you, in, in, uh, I read your book, um, the, the ACT workbook for, for teens with, with OCD. And uh, I, I thought it was really good, by the way. Um, one of the uh, activities that you had in there was a kind of mindful um, breathing uh, technique or activity where you would, you would kind of uh, encourage somebody to, to perhaps think about something that um, that gives them anxiety or that uh, is an obsession and then to try to experience that anxiety uh, and, and kind of breathe, breathe towards it and to explore the feeling in a mindful way to, to, you know, using your imagination to then kind of move towards that discomfort. Um, I found that to be a really interesting activity because um, you know, for me, when I was really struggling with sensory motor OCD uh, problems, I found that moving towards the discomfort in that kind of way to be really helpful. But actually, that particular activity that you described, um, it, it's kind of taking that a step further, you know, really going into that feeling, exploring the, the kind of texture the color, the, the exactly where, where it is in the body and being able to understand that. Can you tell us a bit about that and why you think it's so helpful? Because it was very helpful for me. Yeah, well, well first, thank you for reading the book and, and thank you for trying all those skills. And I'm glad to know that this particular exercise was handy for you. Um, one of the things that is very different when you think of exposure is that you can do exposures by simply getting things done. For example, if I have fears of contamination and someone hand me a phone, the exposure could be touch the phone, hold it close to your face, touch your forehead, right? What's your, what is your level of anxiety? You can do exposures like that. One way of doing it. It could be helpful for some people. But within ACT, we're thinking of exposure more as this process in which you are choosing to lean into whatever internal experience you're having that is uncomfortable. 
Um, so I have found extremely, extremely helpful to physicalize in some way that internal experience. And there are different ways to do it. I may ask about um, when you're holding that phone, what's happening inside of you? Can you name that sensation? I would usually start for, um, I, I usually will start asking for sensations in the body because that's where emotions start. Or every emotion is going to start with some body noise we have. Um, sometimes people are struggling giving a name to, the, to that feeling and that's okay. It doesn't have to be the perfect name. As long as we use anything that helps us to track that, that particular physical sensation. And then we try to physicalize it by asking if that sensation were to have a color or a wave or a texture or the temperature of it or a shape, right? Every prompt is really helping the person to stay with that internal sensation they are having, right? And then I may ask questions about what is that sensation or emotion pushing you to do? Because we know that they're going to come with action-driven behaviors, right? Our emotions push us to do something. Our obsessions push us to do something. And then how do we want to respond to that? So I think there, there, but the, the idea here is to slow down what the exposure and be curious. But when you're curious, you're also actually tracking the process. And then you are developing also more active skills by checking what is the mind doing? What does your mind want to do? How do you want to do it? So I found that um, I think it's, it's really more consistent with practice and exposure that is more like a process based within act than just getting it done. Hmm. Fantastic. That's great. Thank you. Um, do you think a um, bit of a different question, this one, but um, do you think there are, you know, kind of limitations on, on what you can achieve with, say, if you're just working with ERP alone or if you're just working with ACT alone? I mean, do you think that, that uh, therapy should be a combination of these things? And what, what would you say? That's a great question. Um, let me just make sure I understand. Do I think there are limitations if a person only does ERP, traditional ERP or habituation model? Yeah, I mean, we, we could break it down into, into two parts, if you like. You know, do you think there are limitations to, to act as, as a therapy in regards to helping people with, with, with OCD, for example, if we start there? Yeah. Well, I have a biased opinion, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. very, very Here's what I can tell you. Um, I think that, I think ACT is a very sophisticated model and that requires training for the clinician or the coach to de delivering, right? I think, um, I think if ACT is not delivered in a way that it's flexible and consistent with the model, people may experience that as a very limiting intervention, mm. right? But I think it's more the training that the person has. In terms of limitations for a, for a trained, I think, um, ACT person, um, I, you know, the research is pretty solid, right? I think we know that experiential avoidance is the driver of many, many psychological struggles. Mm. and many struggles of you know, all of us, right? And humans were driven by avoidance, not too much by pleasure, and ACT taps into that a lot. Like the whole model is about, let's check what you're avoiding, let's check what you're fused with, and let's check what actions you're doing, right? So when you have that model, I don't see any limitations. I think it's more than the training that a person may have. I think mm. that's a little bit different. Um, in terms of OCD, actually, I see that um, what is beautiful with ACT, because it's more like a transdiagnostic frame also, um, you can help people who are struggling with OCD and trauma, OCD and social anxiety, OCD and phobias. Uh, many times in my practice, we develop a single values-based exposure menu for all these fear stimuli that includes obsessions, trauma-related memories, um, specific phobias people have. So it allows you to actually capture a, um, multi-layered struggles, if that's uh, one way to see it. It also act help you to tap into these negative stories a person may have developed about themselves because of anxiety and OCD. Um, and I think the other uh, great addition is that ACT prepares a person to face life as life happens. Because yeah. uh, there's psychological skills and you know that uh, you have to check the workability of your actions. You are really, I think, 
prepare to face life. Life goes so, you know, goes south many times. So I yeah. think I don't have limitations. I think it depends if there are struggles, perhaps one of the variables is the training that a person has. But I don't think as a model, not only the research is very solid, but for me as a therapist coach, I have seen that I can help many, many um, more of the struggles that my clients are dealing with. Mm. No, I, I completely agree. And um, I think ACT for me is like, uh, it's kind of a, fr uh, a framework or a philosophy from which if you, if you follow it, you know, you can really get yourself out of so many uh, difficult patches. And, you know, there's, like you say, it, it, it covers different areas and has different bases. And, you know, if you're willing to, to be flexible and, and come at it from different, uh, different places, then you can deal with a whole, a whole host of different issues. And what I like about it, I mean, ERP is amazing, no? Like you, you've talked about that quite a lot as well. Uh, and how important actually exposure work is, um, because it has the evidence, we know that it works. Um, but my issue with it is that alone, like ACT, I think is, is pretty good, like uh, just as it is, but ERP alone, I think it, it needs scaffolding in a way. It, the, if, if you can use it in conjunction with, with ACT, I think what people get is a much more robust um, system to help them because they have the scaffolding of after they've done the exposure work, they have tools and techniques that can help them to manage their, the symptoms of OCD to keep them on track. Um, because if we're not careful, I think, I think people can relapse quite easily, no? Yeah, yeah, no, you're making a good point. Um, you, you're making many good points, right? If I can step back a little bit, you know, I think of ACT as a model. I think ACT as a model is exposure, up and down, left and right. Mm, you yeah. Cannot, yeah, yeah. You cannot acceptance unless you are aware of what you're running away from, right? So mm. I think ACT as a model is exposure by nature. Yeah, ACT I has agree. Do exposure um, exposure work, but we do. We also do these targeted exposures to a particular fear-based stimuli that is now in a person's life, right? Mm. Uh, in terms of, I think ERP, we know the research has been very solid, right? When the habituation model came, developed by Dr. Foa, and then we have the inhibitory learning model developed by Michelle Cross, they do have very solid data. I think we have a better understanding of what's what makes exposure works. Um, so over 30, 40 years, we have seen many people, hundreds of people getting better. The challenge also is that, again, if you look at the stats, because I have looked into that with a lot of think carefulness, if you have a group of 100 people, 30 of them don't start treatment because they get scared when they hear exposure. If you have fears of, if you have relationship obsessions and you're afraid that your partner is going to cheat on you, imagine that someone tells you that the exposure is to imagine that your partner is cheating on you with 10 people. That's brutal. Who will sign up for that? Nobody, right? Nobody will sign up for that, right? <laughs> but if you have religious obsessions and someone tell me that you have to stop praying, who will do that, right? Yeah. So from what people, 30% of them, they don't stop. And then you have that once continue, 33 to 40, drop treatment. And then speaking about relapses, it's another third one third of people who finish treatment, they experience a relapse, usually within one to two years. So yeah. which basically means that while exposure has been extremely effective and we have helped many people, from a pool of 100 people, perhaps 47 or 40 get full benefits. We still have 60 people that are struggling. Don't start treatment, drop treatment, experience a relapse. So yeah. I think Right. What you are suggesting here, there are different ways in which you can infuse act into exposure and make it more long lasting to people. Um, yeah. And I think that most clinicians are also moving in that direction. Now, for me, I am a purist. I'm a purist. I'm full act. Right? It's a little bit different. But I do think that we do have to remember for all of us working in the field that as we have been helpful, we do need more options because, yeah. again, one size does and I think ACT brings that new venue, that new wave. Yeah, fantastic. Um, sorry, just a couple more questions. I know we're, we're kind of time pressed. Um, 
One one question is this: When I um, you know, I, I didn't even know I had OCD until I turned thirty. I'm now just turned forty, mm. um, and so um, you know, I I kind of came across this word acceptance um, when I was at, at university. So I was kind of in my you know, like, I don't know, early twenties, and I was really struggling. I didn't know I had OCD, but what I did know, I was I had horrendous anxiety you know, um, horrible thoughts, continuous rumination all day, every day. And I couldn't deal with it at all. Um, But when I came across um, a a book by uh, John Kabat-Zinn, Full Catastrophe Catastrophe Living, it really, really helped a lot. And um, one of the words was acceptance you know this was the word that he kept using again and again and again it's the thing that was most important and the book made so much sense to me I was just like wow this guy he's really talking sense and you know if I can start applying this concept of acceptance to to what I'm struggling with I'm sure I'm going to start improving the issue was though that acceptance is easy to understand from an intellectual point of view. Mm-hmm. However, to apply it um, to, to difficult anxiety, things that are really catching you out, uh, obsessions that, that are long lived, um, you know, it's difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult to apply it in a practical way. Do you have any, any tips for people um, who, who may be struggling with the concept of acceptance? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing, Dav. And I'm sorry that it took so long to figure out that you were dealing with OCD. That's a brutal reality that we hear over and over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Definitely, I, I love John Kabat-Zinn, right? It's a classic, The Full Catastrophe of Living. Um, here's what I, what I have found. Um, I think many times when we discover act, um, it, you know, we, we breathe and we live it and becomes this precious thing. But I think the model is also very counterintuitive for the lay audience, for a person that doesn't know much about mindfulness, right? It's a really weird thing to be talking about diffusion and singing your obsessions, singing your thoughts, visualizing them or talking about acceptance. Um, at least in, in, my, in the work I have done, it feels really like, it's like a it's like a counter revolution to thinking many times um so what i have found very helpful is that it's important to create a frame of how we're relating to our mind how we're relating to thinking in general um and i like to help people to identify to recognize in different ways to different experiential exercises how the mind is this content generating machine and it's a pattern making machine it's all the time creating content and creating connections right mm-hmm. and how we, how we can actually watch the mind doing its own minding how we can see it um, and then from that frame i introduce the idea of acceptance um, I think sometimes, but that's me, it's one way of doing it, right? I have found that if we don't have the basics of a new relationship with our mind, if I don't learn to date my mind in a different way without taking every single thought as the absolute truth, um, it's a little bit harder sometimes to grasp into other processes like acceptance. So I think the frame of how we develop, how we relate to our mind is important as a foundation to talk about acceptance. Uh, because once you recognize or once clicks for you that your mind has its own life, that you don't have control of your mind, that your mind is always on its own minding, that you don't have to have this, this um, infatuated love relationship with your mind, that you can learn to date your mind a different way, I think the other processes are a little bit um, maybe more relatable. Um, for a, I th- and, and just so that's one and the second part of my response will be that I agree I think when we talk about acceptance it sounds pretty easy busy to do but it's brutal work my gosh my gosh it's really you know when our you know when our threat detector goes on and our body goes on and we're like ah right um, I think what I invite people is to um, perhaps practice two things to accept and to redirect. And by accept means noticing the experience. Uh, My legs are shaking right now. I have butterflies in my stomach. My body's feeling warm right now. If neither people can practice some grounding or dropping the anchor, pressing your feet really Mm. hard against the wall, 
maybe pressing your palms against your legs, perhaps um, massaging your neck a little bit. It's the idea is to use the body as a reminder that it's important to focus on the outside. Yeah. Um, so the acceptance part could be like, notice the sensation, notice the feeling, ground yourself, check how you want to handle. But it's hard many times, so that's why it's helpful for people sometimes to focus on the outside where the grounding comes. Mm. Um, none of this has to be necessarily, as people may confuse, an avoidance strategy, but choices that we make to navigate through a moment of a struggle. I think acceptance can be really, really hard, and when we are feeling very, very, very overwhelmed, we sometimes need these micro steps, right? Um, Sometimes with my clients, what we do in the exposure is going like in and out, right? Like we notice that sensation there, we stay there, we focus, take a deep breath, focus one thing on the outside. Tell me how the computer looks. Let's go back inside, what's happening inside. Let's go back outside, right? Because we have to coach ourselves. So I don't think it's easy. I think it's really, really hard. You're, you're really, I think, speaking from experience, I relate to that. But if we help people want to develop a new relationship with their mind as a foundation, I think acceptance can be more applicable, more relatable to them. And if you already know that, if you already have your mindfulness practice, see if you can start starting by naming the sensation. If it's too overwhelming, you may need some grounding. If you want to practice and go in there and out there, notice a feeling, notice a sensation, take a deep breath, focus outside, describe something, go back inside. So those will be, I think, some of the ways in which I will teach acceptance. Yeah, it's really interesting. I do something called the uh, the Wim Hof method, which is um, I don't know if you if you've come across it. It involves um, breath work and um, extreme cold exposure. So uh, he, this guy Wim Hof is uh, he's famous for doing all sorts of extreme stunts like swimming underneath the Arctic ice or taking the longest uh, ice bath in the world. Um, but anyway, so part of it is, is having cold showers in the morning or taking an occasional ice bath. Um, and for me, that's been quite helpful with, because obviously if you're having an ice bath, it's horrible. Nobody wants to be in an ice bath. You want to get, you want to get the hell out of there as soon as you can. Um, you know, and often it's quite painful. If it's cold enough, you get quite, you know, quite a lot of pain in your hands and feet. But what I found in that situation is if you just relax and you focus in on that discomfort, you can learn mm -hmm. how to transform that. Um, you know, it's not for everyone for, for some people, it's just like, it's a big no, but you can do it in a more gentle way with a cold shower in the morning and you still get a lot of these, of these benefits. Um, but it's as a practical way to, to really understand this is, this is a way of accepting. I think it's, it's one of the, you know, perhaps most novel, but one of the most helpful, I think, for me in, in really deepening that understanding of acceptance. But yeah. Beautiful. I'm not familiar with it. I will definitely take a look at it. And it sounds pretty powerful. It yeah, pretty powerful. it really is. Yeah. When you were mentioning that, the other, um, the other aspect of acceptance that I forgot to share moments ago is that I like to teach my clients some micro-acceptance prompts, mm. like coaching um, yourself. Um, I will do the best I can to have this emotion without fighting it. I will do the best I can to watch this sensation without acting on it. I will do the best I can to, to let go of this sensation. Uh, because I think in the moment, we need, again, more micro skills, right? Mm. Um, and I love this, this technique that you're mentioning because that could be another way to practice some of these acceptance prompts. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> We're always learning, no? All of us, every moment, every day. Yes. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Final, final question, please. Um, if you could only give one piece of advice to people who are struggling with with OCD, with anxiety, with perfectionism, um, whatever it is, what would that piece of advice be? Wow, that's a tough, tough question. I only have like one, one piece of advice. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> wow, a very difficult question. Let me step back. I think 
I think today I will invite people to, to keep in mind that no matter how hard the struggle feels right now, remember to go back to your values over and over and over. No matter where you are and how old you are and what you're struggling with, what type of fear-based struggle you're dealing with, remember to always ask yourself, how do I want to show up to myself in this moment? What matters to me in this moment? That would be my <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's really nice. Fantastic. Patricia, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful uh, talking to you. If people want to find out uh, more about you, what can they do? Um, well, first, thank you for having me. I appreciate your consideration with the work. Um, I hang out a lot on Twitter. Um, I spend a lot of time in Twitter. It's my favorite platform, you know, 140 characters, and it's not flashy at all, and it's unpretentious, right? Yeah. So I am there. And we are running, I am running one online class, a live online class called Act Beyond OCD. I only do that twice a year. We're preparing for COVID 2 It's a 16-hour live coaching, uh, educational workshop, teaching actor skills and ERP for OCD. Um, we usually, um, the website is actbeyondocd.com, so people can also find us there. It's Twitter or the website. Okay, fantastic. That's wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. I very much appreciate it. And I hope our conversation is helpful for your audience. Thank you again. I'm sure it will be. Please remember, if you are struggling with OCD and anxiety, you can get a free consultation with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and send me a message and we, we can sort that out. And if you like, you can also follow me on Instagram, uh, at Robert James Coaching UK. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.